welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is SeamlessMD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Sara Vaizi. Sara Vaizi is the Chief Digital Officer for Providence, where she is responsible for digital strategy, product innovation, marketing, digital experience, and commercialization for the integrated delivery network, which includes 52 hospitals, 1,085 clinics, and serves over 5 million unique patients. Sara is the architect of the Providence Digital Innovation Model, upon which the Digital Innovation Group was founded, resulting in company partnerships and incubation of technologies that deliver value for Providence, as well as other health systems. The model has resulted in commercialization of three incubated technologies into independent companies from within DIG, all of which are supporting Providence and delivering on its mission and vision of health for a better world. Sara is active in the broader healthcare industry, serving as an NCQA board director, as a member of the inaugural class of the Frisk Cressy Ventures Collective, Health Evolution Forum Fellow, World 50 Digital 50 member, and a Forbes Business Council member. She has won numerous awards and has been recognized as a business insider, 30 under 40, transforming the future of healthcare in 2019, Catholic Health Association Tomorrow's Leader 2019, a Becker's Rising Star in Health IT 2020, and a Becker's Women, uh, Women to Watch in Health IT 2020 and 2022. She holds an MHA and an MPH in Health Policy from the University of Washington School of Public Health and BAs in Physics and Philosophy from the University of California, Berkeley. Sara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Amazing. We are super excited as well. Sarah, you've led an absolutely thrilling career so far that's been completely immersed in healthcare. You started in research and you shifted to health policy. And then you actually went the consulting route. And now for the past six years, you've been an invaluable operator within Providence Healthcare and specifically Providence's uh, digital innovation group as their chief digital officer. Um, now, I know when you first joined Providence, you were brought in as the chief of staff for the digital team and then uh, slowly shifted over to the VP and chief digital strategy officer. But I'm curious to know, how did you first end up in the wonderful world of digital health? So this was, um, you know, six and a half years ago. Digital health was not really what it is today. We've seen such an explosion and a lot of really exciting activity in digital. But at the time, it was still relatively nascent, um, especially when it came to health systems and how they were thinking about their digital agendas and their, you know, sort of digital transformation journeys. I was really fortunate uh, to, through basically serendipity, um, get to meet the previous chief digital officer for Providence, um, Aaron Martin, who was my boss, my mentor for six years and um, got to know him again very serendipitously. I was actually building an innovation arm for a client at the time and we interviewed the Providence folks to learn more what, about what they were doing because Aaron was the first chief digital officer in healthcare. There wasn't that much activity still in digital at the time and so I uh, just got to learn more and through a set of um, very lucky uh, interactions, uh, was asked to join the team. And um, throughout that process, just came up to speed very quickly on technology and digital and um, what it meant to be an operator in a health system. That was my first uh, first time doing that. So 
um, it was luck. It was a lot of right place, right time. Um, and, um, and I really just had the, the benefit of um, amazing uh, mentorship and a really interesting, uh, innovative, system that was willing to take that risk very early and saw where things were heading as opposed to just wanting to kind of do things the way they always had in the past. And Sarah, um, you know, we've talked to some other chief digital officers who maybe started off in the um, consumer industry world, um, yeah. but you've been a, a healthcare lifer, right? You did your MHA, your MPH, you consulted. Do you mind taking us back to how did you first get into healthcare? Like where did that drive come from? So my initial, um, I would say, foray into healthcare was actually more on the translational research side of things. So I was a research scientist at a medical device company that built uh, therapeutic ultrasound um, intravascular catheters for drug delivery. And I had done quite a bit of research in other forms of therapeutic ultrasound for hemostasis, which is stopping bleeding, um, and for tumor ablation, so supporting cancer patients. So I'd done all of this work that was uh, adjacent to healthcare proper, but it was really, you know, research oriented. And uh, as I did that work, I was so uh, fascinated by how the systems supported the uh, intake of new innovations and, and research and devices and technology. And I started to go down the path of learning about the system, learning about the policies that enable us to do these things um, systematically across an entire country, how we pay for them, how we regulate them, et cetera. And uh, that's where I decided to make the transition and learn really more about how the healthcare system function. That's when I got my MHA and my MPH. And, um, and then uh, I wanted to take my quantitative skills from being a researcher and my um, interest in the healthcare system more generally and apply it to multiple clients. And that's where consulting really came in for me. Um, and so got to do that, but then felt this like sort of existential pull toward being more on the inside as opposed to on the outside, which is fundamentally as a consultant, it's always very difficult to get in and make you know real impact or own that impact you're always you're always making recommendations and then moving on so so that was how i kind of found myself here uh always was very interested in healthcare my you know my family is healthcare focused my mom is a pharmacist my dad um is uh, works for the fda actually as a um as a scientist there uh, so had always some connection but um it was not a linear journey to get to where i am today <laughs> No, that's awesome. Um, I think it's so common as well, the, the serendipitous elements where it, it just seems like pieces come together in the right way and then it, it kind of merges into something beautiful. I'm really curious, Sarah, to learn about your experience with healthcare policy and how, how do you think that's actually shaped um, what you're doing with the role of digital transformation today? The most direct way I can describe it is, and the connection that I see is around change and driving change and change management. Policy creation, so much of it is about seeing um, what's possible and not just you know, doing the same old thing that you've always done, right? You're always trying to kind of change the arc of um, how we serve at the highest level and how we structure, how we build systems, how we pay for them. And uh, it is very slow and very process oriented 
but fundamentally it manifests itself in sort of change management of like large constituencies, large groups of people, um, all with vested interests. And that was the biggest connection I see to what we do in digital, which is that it's fundamentally different. It's not just about building technology or, you know, ingesting technology that allows you to do something different. It's also about changing your business model. And in order to do that, you have to tackle at the most fundamental level, those issues around vested interests and incentives and, um, and how people, uh, consumer behavior and how consumers access, you know, access care, how they do different things, right. And their expectations. And so, um, so it, the closest I can describe, like the closest corollary, I guess, is really around that change, change management, getting people to come along with you to understand the story and to engage around it. Um, and this kind of vision for like where we need to head. And sorry, maybe just to dig in more to the digital side now, you know, lots of health systems now are saying they need a digital front door strategy. And I think what Alan and I have found is that if you talk to different health systems, they are often defining digital front door very differently. Um, now, yourself and Providence were one of the earliest pioneers uh, from what we've seen of the digital front door. Um, so today, though, like, how are you thinking about your framework for the digital front door? What does that mean for Providence? Well, we reject the notion of a single digital front door. Um, there are, especially, you know, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet, right? Like um, there are nearly an infinite number of front doors and um, the Google is like, a, you know, one big one. There's our own websites. There's all sorts of third parties out there. There's, um, there's you know, our own owned properties, partner properties, Google, there's, there's a huge vast world. And so there are, um, there are different channels and different ways by which we can engage folks. And that's how we think about it. And, um, you know, sort of when we break it down to kind of basic principles, one is to be present in as many of those channels as we possibly can be. Um, another is to uh, be up to speed and deeply engaged with Google, which is the owner of the internet, at least today. And then, um, Another principle is around personalization. So be personalized. So be where they are, um, really interact with Google, and then do so in a way that's relevant to the individual. Personalization is the, you know, the future. And when it comes to digital um, uh, transformation in most industries, personalization is a key element of that. When we think about e-commerce, for instance, and the king of all e-commerce, Amazon, um, they, uh, your front page looks different from my front page because we have different buying patterns. We're different people. You know, I live in Seattle. You live where you live. You know, like we all have different, um, all sorts of data that informs who we are and who, that makes it, you know, our propensity for buying specific things. And um, that is no different in healthcare, except for that our objectives are different. We're not just trying to get people to buy stuff. We're actually trying to improve health outcomes and so on. So personalization is a key part of this channel strategy. So I would take it away from the concept of digital front door and say there's a broader channel strategy around um, serving up to the individual a personalized experience. That's how we think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think, um, you know, from some of the other guests that we've had on the show that are in the digital world, 
oftentimes there's different scopes of what they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. And I, you've shared in the past, your, this new role that you're in really consists of three main responsibilities. The first bucket is marketing and digital experience. The second bucket is product development. And the third one is strategy and commercialization. I'm curious, because that is such a large umbrella, how do you decide what to focus on from each of those buckets today? Yeah, um, those, so those, while they're are distinct in terms of the functions themselves. They work very closely together um, in our organization, and they all operate at that kind of consumer or patient-facing front end of the organization. And the fundamental kind of thesis around digital transformation in most other industries, you know, travel, banking, et cetera, um, commerce, has been that digital, the first place where you can really affect change um, around the business model is around um, generating demand, aggregating demand, and capturing demand. And that's what we do with respect to owning this consumer-facing front end of the organization. So those three pieces fit together in terms of customer acquisition, retention, engagement, and here's fundamentally how they work together. So um, so we are doing a tremendous amount of work around knowing who our customers are, um, and then being able to, or potential customers, being able to do targeted outreach to them so that they can get the care that they need, converting them into our ecosystem, and then um, building an identity around them so that they are, uh, they can have authenticated, personalized experiences. The technology that we're building, so we're doing that through our marketing activities, and then the technology that we're building is what's driving that identity-driven engagement experience. So um, essentially, we're incubating technology that our that our teams, our operating teams, our marketing team, our digital experience team, and our clinical and operations teams outside of that can utilize to drive those um, those engagement experiences. So, um, so they all kind of work together. And then the last piece of it is that commercialization piece. So when we build technology, technology is, um, and we've got uh, Joshua here. So he's a you know technology CEO, so he knows it's it's very um, resource intensive to build technology, and the constraints of a health system make it such that you know you can't compete at the same level if you own that technology over the fullness of time. So we build technology, but then we spin it out. We create new companies so that we can take advantage of, in the best way, right? Take advantage of the funding and the broader market that's out there to make these um, make these technologies more relevant and accelerate the roadmap. Um, and so, so that's why we do commercialization. We, we want to, you know, kind of free ourselves from the constraints of the health system while taking advantage of the really great aspects of a health system, which is access to subject matter experts, um, uh, leveraging that intrinsic trust that we have with people to be able to know what they need and be able to serve it up to them, having access to the data, you know, the, the technology environments, all that stuff. Um, but we, we take that companies spin it out and then we deploy those resources again to the next set of problems right so so all of these things are sort of mutually reinforcing and they work together even though they are distinct functions so, so sarah the incubation piece at providence is so fascinating so unique i mean so i mean we've seen a few different ways that you've spun out companies so we had mike McSherry from himself on the podcast a couple weeks ago and um he was i guess an entrepreneur in residence brought in 
uncovered a problem with Zelf and then spun it out of Providence. You, I think, incubated things completely from internal. I think Dexter, I think, might have been just purely incubating, then you spun it out. Congrats on that. I want to dig into Dexter a little bit later as well, because I know that's a big thing that you're supporting now. But I was wondering, um, when you're actually um, building that internally and incubating it, like one of the risks you might run into is the fact that this might be a Providence-only problem that you're solving. And then when you go to market, do you realize that no one else actually needs this problem solved? So when you're incubating something at Providence, how do you actually figure out if there is a path to product market fit even outside um, Providence? Yeah, um, it's a really important question because that is like our whole premise, right? Is that there? this is a market problem that needs to be solved. So um, some of it is uh, can be addressed just by the nature of Providence itself, because we've got a complex, uh, we've got a complex technology ecosystem. We have three instances of Epic. So it's almost like three different installs, right? Like it is a very large um, uh, Epic uh, deployment, but there are three instances. Um, we also have, we have like seven different regions that we operate in and they all have their own individual dynamics. So they're all unique and, um, almost operate like mini health systems within a larger health system. So we get some validation around like, this isn't just one unique little idiosyncratic problem to one, um, one system um, throughout our internal process. But we also look um, externally. So whenever we're going to start up a new effort and a new vertical development effort, we go and we interview tons of people. So, um, and when I say tons, that's the technical term for like the last time we did this, we interviewed about 250 people, half of them internal, half of them external. And we take it, it's the, there's a tremendous amount of breadth. So folks in the regulatory environment, folks that are in the payer environment, you know, we, we look at all the sectors, we look at, we go really deep on the provider side. And, um, and so we try to get a market perspective. And then um, throughout our process, that's kind of in the just understanding the problem phase. Then we go and we kind of get a thesis around what the problem is, do a build by analysis. We get additional market kind of validation there. If we find companies, we can compare against them. We can kind of start to understand what the landscape looks like. If we ultimately then decide to build, we continue to hone the thesis around what we're building, why we're building it, what the problem is. And um, throughout that process, we do things like voice of customer research. So we go out, we continue to um, interview uh, health systems, often in a blinded way so that they're not influenced by the way we're seeing the problem or the way we're building or the fact that we're Providence, right? We go and we interview folks and again, continue to hone so we understand that this is a market problem. Um, we do a lot of kind of upfront de-risking um, because we don't have the market structure or the margin structure, pardon me, to like experiment a whole lot, right? Like that's not, um, we are relatively risk averse. And what I'll say is like, our funnel starts really broad and it gets very tight very quickly. So we don't take very many shots on goal. In this last iteration, we had a list of like a hundred or so problem statements and we are now building around two verticals, right? Wow. So it gets very, very narrow, very quickly. Um, with Dexcare, it was a similar thing. You know, we went through that process and vetted it uh, a lot before we got to the phase where we were like, hey, this is something we're going to put a tremendous amount of resource behind and get it out as a, um, you know, sort of uh, independent market validated solution. And, and so I'm just curious, like, 
for something like like Dex to happen, like was it that like does your group say, hey, like I'm making this up, but like every two years we want to incubate and launch a new company. Um, and so you have all these ideas and you're, you're intentionally narrowing it down to something to focus on for the next year or two, or was it that people internally kept coming to you with the same problem and then you just went after it and it was a little more organic? Cause I know like some companies are very intentional where they start with the thesis that they want to build something in that space. Others are more like organic people are running to you with problems. Um, yeah. how, how does that work at Providence? Um, if I said it was like, I'm not, this won't be like a purist kind of answer. So it's a little bit of both. But what I would say is we often lead with, is it a significant enough problem? Um, and uh, with the example of DexCare, for instance, it was, um, we started with sort of these high level problems, like we've got um, folks that are trying to get into primary care, they're not established patients, they're new patients kind of out in the wild, and it takes them six weeks. And so they go elsewhere, they get care at some other system, or they go to um, some other like emerging disruptors in the market. That was our initial kind of hypothesis, or the initial problem that we identified. And then we were saying, well, maybe like the hypothesis around, you know, and of course, I'm simplifying this whole journey. It was a five-year journey, but uh, maybe the, you know, we can solve it through um, on-demand care, right? And then we just started to go down that path to understand what that meant a lot better. And so it really was like, we lead with the internal need. The internal need is really important because if we don't identify that, like it's very hard to get folks in health systems to engage. They've got so much going on. And we need to have an internal champion and a partner that can work with us on the operational side of things. And, um, and, then, and then the commercialization approach is sort of like the way that we can keep this going sustainably. Mm -hmm. Because you can only work at so, so many problems at once. Um, and uh, if we just kept these things in house, like we'd be tapped out, right? And so, um, so we just, uh, so that's second, first is, fulfill the need and, and, you know, make sure that we're solving that big problem for our system. And, and sorry, I, I don't want to go off schedule okay. too much, but this is just like really, really cool. Uh, so congrats on all that. I, I was wondering, where does that entrepreneurial DNA come from? Because I've seen some, like, um, some health systems where they've tr maybe tried to start a company, but it never goes anywhere. Or there, there are others that are just as large as Providence, but they're not doing anything like this. So it's clearly not just you have to be large enough to do this. There's clearly some entrepreneurial innovation DNA at Providence. Like, where does that come from? And like, what keeps that going? Um, I don't know if there's a single answer to that. Um, you know, it was, Aaron certainly introduced a lot of that and that cultural kind of mentality when he started the group eight years ago, eight plus years ago. Um, we've hired amazing entrepreneurial type people who have experience from, uh, big tech or startups. Um, and, uh, and we've just kind of cultivated it over time. I would say we, um, it, I, there's not like a single silver bullet. Um, I think we were just trying to solve the problem, which is like, how do you solve these problems repeatedly for the system and do so in a way that's sustainable. And like the pieces kind of came together. This wasn't how it started, right? Like at the beginning, when we started this, we were building um, 
all sorts of things, doing a lot of research projects, a lot of like kind of um, science-y, science project type things that didn't have a clear path. We did kill a bunch of projects because we hadn't done all this de-risking up front. Um, and we just learned along the way. And I think it was that openness to learning and the support of like the CEO who had our back the whole time to say like, this is the right thing to do and went along and like this with us in this journey. Um, and uh, like, that was essential. If we didn't have that, you know, it would have been a non-starter to begin with. So, um, so we kind of figured it out along the way and we're gonna continue to innovate, right? Like this model, um, it's, uh, it's health systems are going through a lot right now. Um, it's been a historically challenging, of course, two and a half years, but this year in particular, like the whole nature of health system business is now different than it used to be. And so we're going to need to continue to innovate and figure out, okay, what's the next iteration of this, um, to make it, this sustainability equation work even better. That makes a lot of sense. When you first started the group or when, uh, Aaron Martin first started the group, like how big a team was it? Because I know it's now over 200 plus people internally all working out, you know, th these different problems, but how small was the group back then? Um, you know, it was, so when I joined, I'll, I'll comment on it this way. When I joined um, six and a half years ago, it was about 100 and 150 people and we're about okay. at the same now, but the nature of the group has changed, right? Yeah. So um, as we've honed our thesis around like, what are we trying to do within the system? This sort of, um, notion around supporting the front end, this demand aggregation and uh, capture piece, um, the pieces of the group have changed. And so um, marketing was not part of the organization to begin with. And we realized like that's a really key element to all of this is how you do customer acquisition, how you think about it um, in um, uh, connected to your digital experience. And then next level is your omni-channel experience which mm -hmm. we'll be starting to explore and so um uh, and then how do you build platforms that can support that so uh so it has it has morphed over time but the team is about 200 folks right now and i don't think it'll be bigger than that mm -hmm. right that's not the intent the intent is actually to keep it around this size but to continue to do interesting things yeah that's awesome um one of the main reasons why I bring that up, Sarah, I believe it was Providence's CEO who actually used to share kind of a, a Venn diagram type image mm -hmm. with you, basically showing tech people on one side and healthcare people on the other, and basically saying the intersection is where the magic happens. You know, if you yeah. can really get those two groups to communicate, that's where you can make magic. And you are really in a unique position leading this team of 150, 200 people various disciplines, you have computer engineers, like you said, you have marketers, you have data scientists, you have business folks all under the same umbrella. And so I'm curious, how do you facilitate knowledge sharing between these different groups to, with the clinicians as well to really ensure that that intersection is realized? Yeah, um, so within the team, like you said, it's a diverse team of a lot of different skill sets, folks who've spent a lot of time in healthcare, folks who are new to healthcare, and we, um, we do a lot of communicating. We do a lot of like, just let's get clear on um, what our goals are, why, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? Um, how does it connect to the mission? That's actually a really important element of it um, because 
um, a lot of folks, you know, especially in Seattle, they have a lot of options and in the new virtual environment too, people have, they can work anywhere, they can do anything, you know, there's lots of tech and tech folks are in great demand. Um, so we have to build that connection to the mission because it really does provide something different that you get to serve a community in addition to building really cool stuff, right? So um, so we do a lot of communicating around what we're doing, why we're doing it, how it serves the mission. Um, and then, uh, and we engage uh, our clinicians as well as like operating partners throughout the system in product development. Um, we have, you know, like an operating cadence that is weekly business reviews, monthly business reviews, lots of close partnership in terms of like gathering requirements, understanding what problems they're trying to solve throughout the entire development process, throughout all of the campaign development that we do in marketing, throughout all the work that we do in digital experience. So um, they're all just like we have we handle it from a culture standpoint to bring folks together around shared objectives. We handle it from an operating cadence perspective. Um, we handle it from a communication perspective. We kind of tackle it all sides to make sure that we can bring folks together in the right way to get the outcomes that we need. No, that's awesome. It's like an omni-channel approach internally yeah. as well. Like that's, that's really cool. Um, you actually talked recently, and it was on another podcast, but basically about this project that, uh, that the team has completed now um you've kind of hinted at it already it's the what's going to lead to this personalization and such mm -hmm. um it's basically around the unique digital identities for consumers or, or the community really um explaining that a consumer the consumer or the patient's digital identity could be the foundational piece to unlock this personalization and omni-channel approach uh, i'm curious could you unpack that a little bit for our listeners what was the project what what can it lead to um, and what are you thinking about it for the future sure so the way it started was, uh, again, a pretty simple problem, which is that in order for us to get folks online with us and get them to start engaging with us, we need to re remove some of the friction associated with all of these interactions. And one of those areas is around login, right? And, um, and so we started down this path of doing a single sign-on project that was, uh, we called simple patient identity. And ultimately, we ended up kind of building this middleware layer that helped us connect all of our different instances of our EMR. And, um, and then we started to build on top of that and say, okay, well now, you know, it, that single identity provides a place to land data about an individual that's not just their clinical data, right? Because we've abstracted it out of the EMR. We've brought, we've pulled it out and it's, we can understand who they are in terms of their psychographic data. We can understand how they're behaving on our web properties and what they're looking for. And we can start to, um, uh, you know, kind of build a much broader um, picture of who they are and eliminate some of the fragmentation on the experience side of things, but also eliminate it on the data side of things. So, you know, we've got this promise of know me, care for me, ease my way. That's what the Providence promises. This is all about know me, right? And so we started to do that. And, um, and when you abstract the identity out and you start thinking about the person holistically, not just within your environment, you can also think about it much broader than that. And so we started thinking about identity federation 
to the ecosystem. So other third parties, um, you know, you mentioned Mike McSherry and Zelf, like we can work with them on all of the, all of the products and services that they enable. We can do um, both one-way and two-way authentication in terms of like folks sending us an authentication token and then triggering a clinical action or us sending data back to them. And so it really creates this holistic picture of how folks interact. And, and what that does is, again, like we need to take in the signals about an individual, understand what they're looking for, you know, from an intent, motivation, preference, um, and then clinical appropriateness side of things, and then serve up to them um, things that are relevant to them. And so that's the whole premise of identity driven engagement is once we can understand them, we can create a profile around them and then build, you know, recommendations um, and, uh, and experiences that, um, that connect to, uh, that connect, you know, that, that make that, that experience much more relevant to them. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we can do is actually start to understand like what works for people and what doesn't work, right? And so when you have that insight into um, what works for a given individual and what doesn't, you can tailor programs. There's a much more clear ROI associated with it. So you're not just like throwing random crap at the wall or like trying to, um, or just like um, even just, you know, kind of, uh, indiscriminately spending because you don't know what works, right? You can actually be much more targeted. And so then that can, it's like a virtuous cycle, right? You've got identity, you've got these experiences, you've got the insights and they can all kind of inform one another. So mm -hmm. that's what we're working toward now. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Like, I, I think this is the first time that I've actually heard of like a, a real concrete strategy around outreach and using the, you know, content appropriately to make sure it's relevant to what they're actually searching for or how they're browsing the just the web for instance it's really cool yeah and it's it can manifest in all sorts of different channels right again so it's not just about one single front door um this kind of personalization uh framework can power our outbound marketing so we can understand today who's in the market for a specific service and then we can target them and reach out to them proactively to say hey like these are the services that you can engage in we can actually do web personalization so the things that show up on our web websites mm -hmm. are different depending on um, your previous interactions with our website and we can serve it up in our mobile app which has the richest authentication experience right and it can show your individual you know alan's individual primary care provider and his upcoming appointments and connection into your patient portal, your my chart where all of your records and everything are. So we can do this across multiple channels and multiple modes of interaction. Mm -hmm. So cool. So, so sir, I mean, um, when we think about innovation and, and digital in particular, there are certain, I guess, communities that come to mind. So I think Providence has been an early investor and member in Avia. Um, avid participant, Scottsdale Institute, and many others. And it kind of feels like this sort of collaboration and, and innovation is kind of more common in healthcare almost than some other industries. Um, why do you think that, it, especially since I guess, and some, sometimes you're competitive with other health systems, yet sometimes you are collaborating in these things. So um, what role do you see these innovation um, ecosystems or hubs playing in helping you accelerate innovation efforts at, at Providence? Um, 
so there's a lot of things that um, we could hit on here, but I'll just say two things. You mentioned competition in general, like we don't compete too much right around um, these types of efforts. Yes, we may compete from a care delivery perspective, but these kinds of things we we share freely and um, and uh, and it's because we don't really compete with each other that much, right? Like I could call somebody in Michigan today and they would share with me and I would share with them. So the competition aspect of it is one thing. And I think the other, um, the other uh, piece of it, which is that health systems realize that we alone can't kind of stem the tide of like massive disruption, as well as the influence of like these payer providers, the, the pay providers that are really changing um, the, uh, the dynamics of how care gets both paid for and delivered. And, um, and that uh, we need to come together to solve some of these big problems. And so I, there's an acknowledgement around that as well, which creates a really healthy, um, to your point, like community around sharing and solving problems together. And it has, for instance, really, um, accelerated dex care in terms of um traction and um how it can you know really uh um, get in there with uh, with health systems proactively to solve their problems based on their experience with us and then you know translating out out to um other ideas makes a ton of sense yeah sorry i really wanted to pick your brain on this just given your background in health policy i've seen you know throughout different podcasts different forums you've shared uh, basically your thoughts around how current incentive models may slow innovation, but your take on it at least is, you know, rather than shying away from that, why don't we embrace the idea that innovation can actually create opportunities to deliver new capabilities that can power new business models, which I know you've briefly touched on so far in the conversation. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, why do you believe it makes more sense to pursue innovation that might not fit so nicely with today's business models and how do you think business models in the future might adapt to accommodate some of the changes in new technologies that you're building? It's a really, uh, it's a good question. It's an open-ended one. So I'm trying to give a good answer, but um, maybe I'll just put it this way. Um, there isn't, the way that the current business models work isn't working. It doesn't work for consumers. It doesn't work for deliverers of care. And, um, and we're seeing sometimes the market speak for itself, right? The amount of traction that like a lot of direct to consumer businesses, like hims and hers, for instance, have gotten with consumers. Um, it, it's showing that like, we're, we, the people are hungry for something different. And, um, I'll just say this, like in service to our mission and serving communities, like we don't have the, we've got to lean in to tackle this head first, like fee for service and even value-based care, which is, we've been talking about it for 20 years and like how much momentum do we really have around it? You know, like they're not solving the problem. And, and so, um, you know, we beat our health, beat our, heads against the wall repeatedly but i think there's just like this like there's the problem's not going away so we just need to keep diving in that's mm -hmm. how we see it yeah i appreciate that yeah, it, it always strikes me i mean to your point there are all these direct-to-consumer businesses and, and, and companies now that are trying to almost like disintermediate the provider patient relationship but 
Um, I just don't think that's going to work long-term. They'll never be able to do it better than a system like a Providence. So, I mean, good luck to them, but I, I think it's a little bit short-sighted probably for some of them to think they can just get rid of that. Well, I think what's really going to happen is that um, the connectivity between these systems, it, like all of these different players, is what's really going to matter. I don't think that health systems are going to be everything to everybody going forward. Um, there is a, like, um, that's not what we've done that historically and it just isn't really working right and so i think that's going to change and it's going to put health systems in a position for us to be much more about like um how do we become the connector and the information company and the sort of provider of that continuity um that uh it, around a specific person's problems um as opposed to let's just own it all ourselves and so um so those folks that don't want to play in that environment i think will all will will struggle like the companies that are like oh yeah we just want to completely be separate from that i think that will that will be tough partly because like there is trust in the health system um and that relationship with your doctor if you have one um and um, and so there, you know, there is, there's some intrinsic value there. And of course that's changing too, right? Like a lot of young people don't have primary care providers or um, they get their care from a much more episodic sort of transactional place. And so that's going to change too. But I think, um, I think uh, ultimately for the betterment of the community, like we've put all this money into healthcare and our outcomes still suck, right? And so um, the continuity around solving an individual's problem is the direction that everyone's going to need to take as opposed to just like disintermediating for the sake of disintermediating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Can, can we uh, ask you a bit about um, your thoughts on like health equity and the digital divide? So I mean, like, I mean, I, I'm biased, Alan and I are biased because we're, we're in the tech world and I guess you're probably biased to being in tech and digital, but my whole thing has always been, you know, we maybe we won't get 100% adoption or penetration today, but adoption will only keep going up, accessibility will only keep going up. So we're on like the right curve. But yeah. again, I, I do appreciate in the in the moment though, we don't like inequities in healthcare, especially as a digital person, I don't like if digital uh, creates inequities. So how do you sort of balance that being sort of a digital leader, knowing that it's not, you know, 100% just yet? Um, I I agree with you. I don't think it means that we need to like shy away from digital because it can um, like there are still digital disparities as well. Um, so we need to keep pushing forward, but we need to do so in a way that's mindful of like the underlying health equity and equity issues that um, persist in our society. So for instance, like we are now working on full uh, translation, like Spanish language translation and other language translation on our on our digital property, so we can lean in on um, like language and um, issues, for instance. Um, uh, the other area that we've started to be mindful about and think about is like uh, in environments where data is um, a factor, right? Um, operating um, our digital platforms in ways that require less data. So in SMS or, you know, other, other kind of things like that. So um, continuing to push forward, but doing so with an eye on like the considerations and learning along the way. Frankly, we know very little at this point. Um, and so I, I don't want to like, you know, have an arrogance about like we've figured it out or anything. We're just at like the baby stages of this from our perspective around digital and um, how it supports health equity. So, but those are some of our early things that we've done. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so sorry, I wanted to get your take on, uh, this is a question we ask a lot of digital leaders, but today there is this explosion of patient-facing innovations, and you're obviously leading a lot of that effort. Uh, you've probably come across them all, like chatbots and digital care journeys, remote patient monitoring, et cetera. I'm really curious, what is the most exciting to you today? So um, it kind of connects to our conversation around identity, but it's the ability to bring these things together actually is what excites me in a consumer friendly way. So we could bombard people with like so many different tools, so many different pieces of content, so many different um, ways to engage and like what actually matters to them. Um, and, and you can do that by knowing who they are and personalizing it to, to them and then supporting their kind of navigation through this morass of whatever is out there, right? Those are the kinds of things that really excite me because again, they're like focused on the outcome and delivering value to the individual as opposed to just like a nifty thing that exists out there. Yeah, totally. I, lo I love that answer because it, it's not the it's not the flashy answer, but it's the one that's most impactful and valuable, right? That's right. There very um, little sizzle, mostly steak here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, speaking of steak, I, I wanted to throw this question in there. Um, you know, you're involved in so many different ventures. You're a board member at DEX. You're an advisor. You're an operator at Providence in the Digital Innovation Group. But you're also the co-founder of uh, Yeah Boy Hot Sauce. Um, and so I was really curious, you know, what's the genesis of that company? Well, it came about on a trip um, many years ago and we, you know, my partner and I, we ate something that we really enjoyed and we tried to find it in stores, couldn't. Um, and he got a little bit obsessed and, um, and so started to try to recreate it. And, um, and we ate a lot of hot sauce, some of it good, some of it not so good while we <laughs> figured this out. I mean, he's an engineer, so he went about it through this like very engineering oriented um, product development approach. Um, and when we landed on something that we really liked, we were like, you know, maybe other people will like it too. So mm -hmm. our friends liked it. We started to sell it and the rest is history. That's so cool. No, that's great. We'll have to grab some. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a big hot sauce enthusiast, so it's so awesome. cool. Yeah, you uh, definitely should. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, just being mindful of your time, Sarah, let's shift over. We call it the fast five lightning round, five questions to, know, uh, to get to know you better for our audience. Uh, first question that we have is what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? Um, my favorite book is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And um, people always think like that's a really weird choice. Um, but what I love about it is that it just strips down like what is, you know, like what existence is to like its mm -hmm. most basic thing, which is like the love between two people, in this case, the father and the son. And mm -hmm. um, it just really hit me like as that's what matters so yeah I love that I mean based on your philosophy background right like that that makes sense I, I I've seen the movie I haven't read the book actually but oh the book um, is um, infinitely better <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard that's awesome uh second question is unique for you Sarah I've heard that before getting into healthcare, uh you were considering a career in music uh mm -hmm. is that true and then if so which instrument were you playing uh, so I play piano. I've been playing piano since I was five and I was a classically trained piano player. And um, when my um, hands didn't really grow to the size that um, most concert piano players need to be able to play some of the, the classics, I sort of became a hobby. <laughs> cool. 
you were thinking maybe healthcare could uh, extend my fingers. Maybe. Or something. Anyway, yeah, yeah, something <laughs> down that avenue. Health, so, healthcare is more welcoming for hands of all sizes, apparently. Yeah. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, question three is a bit different. Would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Definitely reading people's minds. Okay, okay. Uh, we do have a follow-up. If you couldn't turn that off, would you still choose that answer? Yes. Oh, All right. First, first time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very good. Uh, question four, what do you believe in healthcare that others might find insane? Um, that is such a good question. Um, I think we need to completely break down how we pay for care. Hmm. Um, and I don't think value-based care is the answer. Very interesting. I love that. Um, last question that we have is pandemic kind of related question. Um, what is one hobby or activity you, you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? Um, the biggest thing is, uh, so I did it before too, but um, I continue to kind of cook all sorts of different things and I've gotten a little bit more experimental and, um, and uh yeah, spending more time there. I also have gotten really, really gotten into my plants. So That's I sweet. talk to yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way. Yeah. No. Uh, with your cooking, I imagine you're using your hot sauce a lot. Like, is it pretty much a given that your food is going to be spicy? Or, or let me ask you, are the, all the hot sauces spicy or? No. Um, well, they're, they're all, they have some level of spice. Our uh, jalapeno is pretty mild, actually. I would give okay. it like a two out of 10. Oh, nice. um, and the habanero, which is the spiciest, is like a seven out of 10. Oh, so they're intended to be more flavor than just heat. Right. Oh, that's great. Um, awesome. Well, Sara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, for folks listening, you can find Sara on Twitter. I hope I don't butcher this, but it's at noodleV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. You got uh, it. Awesome. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Digital Patient hosted by SeamlessMD. If you like the podcast and you want to learn more, please visit www.seamless.md. Thank you, Sarah, again for sharing your time on, on the show today. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you both. It was uh, really fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Sarah. Mm -hmm.